0: This is the Your Shelf Podcast, and I'm your host, Jay. So before we begin, I'll just uh, do a quick intro for you as well. So uh, Michelle Orange, who's joining us today, thank you. Um, Michelle started out, um, correct me if I'm wrong, with sort of uh, kind of film criticism and journalism and then in 2013 brought out a book of essays called this is running for your life and then uh earlier this year brought out uh the memoir pure flame which i realized actually as i was preparing for um as i was preparing for this interview has two different subtitles um in the u.s it's (coughs) a legacy and in uh in the uk it's uh something about mothers and daughters uh so and I I, I have thoughts uh, of course about this so I'll, I'll get to that uh later but um it's it's a pleasure to have you Michelle and uh, especially given that Pure Flame is your shelf's uh number one nonfiction book of the year uh it's really exciting to be able to talk to you about it today
1: well thank you I'm you know I'm really thrilled and and honored that you um responded to the book the the way you did. And of course, uh, that, that you chose it, um, especially knowing how widely you read (laughs) (laughs) that, that my book, um, has the spot of, of any prominence among, among all the reading that you've done this year, especially is, is really thrilling to me. So
0: thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So, um, We've got the millions of welcomes and, and, uh, attributions <laughs> out the way and everything. So now let's, <laughs> let's jump on into the, to the lightning round. Let's uh, talk
1: subtitles. Oh no. Okay. Lightning <laughs> round. <laughs> yeah.
0: Soon, soon. Um, okay. First question. Do you have a comfort book that you turn to?
1: Uh, a comfort book. You know, the book that I've reread, um, most often is the end of the affair by Graham Greene. Um, mm-hmm. A, a London set book. I don't know if comfort is the word I would use. It's uh, but it, it perhaps it is. Um, I reread to the lighthouse this year um, f- specifically for comfort. So m- maybe that's a good, um, it was my first rereading though. I think maybe it'll be my, my go-to, um, you know, every, every now and then when I'm looking for, for solace or guidance or just sort of uh, a reminder of, of what's possible in, in writing. That's the one I
0: turn to. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, mm-hmm. And then, what what is or what are the book or books that you would say made you?
1: Oh wow! <laughs> that means- <laughs> and that that can,
0: that can be as a person, as a writer, as a reader. That can be one book in particular. That can be you know a book that was formative when you were a child, a book that you know uh, was formative when you were an adult. Anything, just just a sort of snapshot. Oh,
1: wow. Books that made me. <laughs> um, you know, I was a huge reader of biographies when I was a, a teenager. Um, I was very into life stories of artists of all kinds. Um, that weren't really remarkable for, for the writing necessarily. That was something that I came to um I think in my early to mid twenties where I, I became much more interested in, in style and, and uh, prose style um, books that made me, I mean, I think that one of the books that came to mind is um, George Tro's within the context of no context. That was a book that uh, just changed my conception. Of, and I only read that uh, a few years before my uh, essay collection that you mentioned came out and it was one of those books that both galvanized me and also made me feel sort of redundant as a a writer. I thought I'd been slaving away on these essays and I thought, well, he's already, he's already done it. You know, what am I, what am I doing over here? Um, you know, sort of scribbling away. Um, that was a, a book. It's also a book that I return to, um, quite often, um, books that made me, that's a tough one. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah i mean i think as a, as a child black beauty was the book that i read over and over again mm. the idea of of being able to enter the consciousness of a of an animal and put it at the center of a, a story um that was it was about human beings obviously but but also about um animal consciousness again all the any kind of any book that extended my sense of the of what's what's possible in the written word, whether through ideas or style or or, um, approaches to storytelling.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh, I I love what you're saying is all about, uh, you know, loving a book so much because you know it's it's kind of formative but also makes you feel redundant uh, i think i feel like yeah. the best books i ever read are ones where afterwards i'm like right i'm never writing again
1: <laughs> you're defeated right they yeah. defeat you and, and in a way in a way it's like you're on the ground and the, the job is then to sort of like find the will to <laughs> continue in the wake of you know uh the yeah the greatness of it
0: yeah uh and then uh this this is very a very niche lightning round question just for you, given your sort of uh, film criticism background. <laughs> I was wondering, is there any book, any particular book that you really want to see adapted as a movie?
1: Oh, wow. Any book I really want to see. You know, I'm always a bit, um not disappointed is the word, but apprehensive when, <laughs> when books get adapted, actually. There isn't, I can't think of one that um, I, would, I would love to see. Do you have one of those?
0: <laughs> you know, considering I <laughs> considering I wrote the question, I really should have been prepared for this. <laughs> um hmm. that's a good question.
1: It didn't stem from your own your
0: own uh No, I feel like a lot of the books I love are books where like when I read them, I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way that could ever be a movie. You know, maybe some that would be like a really good TV series or like a play or something else, but like
1: yeah, and that's the beauty that of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they, they can't be anything other than than what
0: they are. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Mm.
0: Okay, well, that's a, a I think a good non-answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: No, no, no. It's <laughs> it's justified. Um, okay, if you could have a book recommendation from anyone, living or dead, who would it be?
1: Oh, a book recommendation. I don't, I mean, I would love to know, again, like Virginia Woolf, I guess, (laughs) of all, another, another widely read, you know, um, person, Uh, if if there were one, you know, that she, that she was adamant that that a person read, I I would love to know that.
0: Yeah, I think me too. (laughs) Um, Okay, and then final lightning round question. In terms of your own, uh, the books that you read, the books that you collect, do you have uh, bookshelves? What do they look like? How do you organize? Tell me about your books.
1: I do. You know, I... I'm not precious about my books. I I've tended to I give them away all the time when I've moved. I tend to 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 leave a lot of them behind. Um I'm always paring them down really to be essential so that I know I'm going to return to again. So I have a number of bookshelves in my bedroom and I have one um in my in my living area. Um and I don't some so the bookshelves in my bedroom are sort of each shelf has a different spatial dimension. So they're mostly organized according to their size. <laughs> um, and also, and and I and suppose to the ones that are most personal to me, um, those are the ones in the bedroom. I'm really not, I, I'm not a, a collector though by any means. And these days, most of the books that, I, you know, I have a little Brooklyn apartment. I don't really have room for, mm. for a lot. So uh, I, I really, I use my library. Um, uh, in you know, I, I'm always at the library. I'm always picking up books at the library, and I love dropping them back off. <laughs> and if there's a book, <laughs> if I really fall in love with a the book, then I'll then I'll I'll get a copy for myself. But um, yeah, I, I can't say I'm much of a, a collector. The ones that I have are very very special to me, but they're 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 pretty few in number.
0: Hmm. I think that's. I think you're the first person to say that actually like that, I've, that oh. I've interviewed so far but that's quite um i don't know that's quite nice i'm kind of envious actually i have such a hard time letting go of books even when i'm like oh this was fine like i don't i don't think i'll ever reread it but i couldn't possibly part ways with it
1: <laughs> i do that for a time and then i force myself to mm. rehome them
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know i sort of i can't do it immediately There's yeah. always a was, but then i you know at a certain point i realize that i live in a tiny brooklyn apartment and i <laughs> if i if i, if I You know, I know, I, you know, you always know that person whose book is, whose apartment is piled high with books and I just Mm -hmm. can't, uh, I'm very, I I don't like clutter. I like, um, so I'm a bit ruthless, I, I suppose.
0: Nice. Yeah, I I think I need to, I I need to take a page out of your book, because uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, as I was sort of getting ready to move, I um, was, you know, packing all my books, and I started having anxiety dreams where I would be buried alive by falling books. Uh, So I think that, yeah, this is uh, maybe um, another sign that I need to start uh, living more sensibly as you do. (laughs) (laughs)
1: your unconscious is trying to tell you there's a there's a a better way
0: so let's move on now and let's talk about uh, the main event which is pure flame Um, this is a memoir that came out earlier this year just for our listeners who may or may not have read it uh, michelle i was wondering if you could sort of in your own words tell us a little bit about what Pure Flame is about and, you know, where it came from.
1: Uh, Pure Flame is uh, a, an examination of um, the dynamics between mothers and daughters. Um, it generally, I'm using my my relationship with my mother um, and, and her relationship with her mother as an entry point um, to an examination of, of how questions about maternal legacy uh, have been shaped and forged and, and sort of re remade um, across a century of feminist progress beginning towards the, the early part of the 20th century um, and extending into this century. That's the sort of briefest way I can put it. Um, and it came about, uh, I would say, I guess, shortly after the essay collection was published in 2013, I was looking for a new project. And th- those are the questions that were, um, preoccupying me. I knew it would have a personal element that I wanted to use elements of, of my own life and, and my relationship with my mother, because it's sort of complicated. I felt that, that my mother and her mother, uh, generally, generationally, they, they represented, uh, a useful cross-section of, of, feminist progress i suppose my grandmother being born in 1915 my mother being born in in uh, the mid 40s um and ca- my mother having come of age in in the midst of um the the feminist movement the second wave the feminist movement my grandmother having come of age being among the first generation of women who could vote um and but uh shortly after i started working on the project and i what i wanted to do was was bring in uh, uh Large contextual questions examine the lives of certain um, writers from of those generations, different artists um, that might prove representative in one way or another, as uh, and interweave them with with some personal elements. Um, shortly after I started working on the book, well, maybe not shortly, uh, two years or so after I started working on the book, my mom became uh, seriously ill, and. Um, that changed the trajectory of the book. And and the book took a a lot longer to complete. Um, And after a two-year illness, my mom died. And so the book came to incorporate much more of of that experience and of our relationship and of the personal element than I had anticipated or planned for.
0: Mm. And so you started it sort of Not long after then, uh, This Is Running For Your Life came out, which was, as we said, 2013, and it came out this year. So that means you spent maybe sort of six, seven years kind of putting it together?
1: Yeah, so I would say, you know, it was really from 2015 on that I was working in a concerted way. Um, Before that, it was sort of... (laughs) you know, in, in the ether. And I was, I Mm. was engaging with it less purposefully. Um, but yeah, from about 2015 on, so it was a, it was a solid five, six years that I was working on it.
0: Which is, um, I don't know, does that, to, to you, does that feel like a long gestation period?
1: It does. Um, and at the same time, I, you know, looking at the book and how it turned out, you know, it, it couldn't have, it couldn't have been any other way. Um, and I, I needed that amount of time to... Uh, the book changed shape so many times. Um, and in order to feel confident in it and be happy with the finished results and come to us all sorts of decisions about what I was and wasn't going to include. I just needed I needed that time. There, there was no other way. I was dealing um, with my mom's illness and, and taking a, a caretaking role and then grieving her death and trying to settle on the parameters of the book was also part of it. It's, it's you know, what so many writers of nonfiction deal with is <laughs> where, where you finally sort of set those parameters. Um, and that was a, a bit of a struggle for me with this project. Um,
0: hmm. I, I think it's so interesting that you, um, you know, you're talking about the sort of the, the form that, the book took and the parameters that you put in place and then also about you know the fact that it needed to take the time that it did and you know when you read the book it obviously it covers um the sort of main narrative arc of it covers uh you know quite a few years and beyond that it covers you know (laughs) decades centuries even of, of sort of thought of literature um sort of criticism that kind of stuff um you know so it's 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 a kind of In so many ways, it's a slow burn, but also it has that kind of intensity and that kind of um, sort of propulsive feeling to it um, that almost kind of makes it feel like it's something that was written in kind of, you know, in in a fever, in a very intense kind of burst. And so the fact that, you know, it does both, I I find just so kind of um, uh, just just fascinating and, and like a very rare feat.
1: I mean, that's incredibly gratifying. To hear, um, uh, I would say that hopefully, I you know that propulsive feeling is of course exactly what uh, I I I worked for and and wanted, Um, and it was something that I think I was only able to arrive at after my mom had died and a a period of time had passed, and then I really did work in a in a fever, uh, sort of state, um, and wrote enormous amounts of new. Material and also was finally able to synthesize so much of the research and the you know historical and cultural context that you're mentioning. I was able to finally find, it, you know, call it, refine it, you know, find the the places for it that actually made sense, you know, within within this framing story uh, of uh that that really in terms of chronological parameters begins with my grandmother's death in 2011 and ends with my mother's death in 2018. Um, so I, I did, you know, there, there was a period I wasn't able, I I handed in the first draft of this manuscript a month before my mother died. Um, and then I wasn't able to, I just wasn't able to return to it for a a good six months. And I knew it just, it wasn't going to be the book. It wasn't the book. Uh, I was I was under the gun. I was doing the best that I could. I things with my mom and her the palliative stage of her illness had had uh stretched out much longer than any of us anticipated. And and I was just sort of free free falling <laughs> with the projects. Uh and after those six months had passed, there were a, number, a sort of a couple of things triggered me, I guess, back into motion. And and I I really did enter a, a sort of slightly insane (laughs) state (laughs) of of feverish uh work to to make it the book that i i wanted it to be
0: yeah um which leads me actually to um one of the i've written down some of the lines from the book here that really sort of jumped out at me um and which i was hoping to sort of talk a little bit about Uh, this is a quote the flame by which i had lived toiled and sought my own reflection i don't burn like her but pure and plain enough to light my own way and obviously you know the book is titled Pure Flame. Uh, it opens with an epigraph um, from Susan Sontag, and that's sort of um, where the phrase pure flame comes from. Uh, there's a lot of imagery about, uh, you know, about flames and, and, and heat. And, you know, then even just in the um, the kind of the style, there's that, that heat to it as well, as we've just been discussing. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the sort of title of it and also this kind of recurring imagery and 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 why that why that Santa quote was so um kind of um I guess decisive or or formulative for this or formative rather for this book.
1: Mm, That's that's an interesting question. It it uh takes me back to um spending some time with a, a friend of mine in upstate New York in in 2015 when I was more in that um note taking, researching, you know, reading, casting a wide my uh, interests where they took me, you know, within within certain parameters. But uh I was reading the volcano lover um for whatever reason and and I was working with a different title at that time. It was it was called Impossible Professions, which mm-hmm. is taken from a Freud quote about um uh psychoanalysis being I think it's uh together with um, parenting and maybe teaching, or if I'm not mistaken, is, is like uh, the three impossible professions. Um, and that was the one that I had in my head. And, uh, and yet there was this whole section of the volcano lover that I was struck by, uh, that I was discussing with a friend of mine, um, uh, of an evening and, uh, went over that quote with her. I was trying to explain to her, um, what it, why it resonated with me and, and what I felt in it and how it connected with, um, my mother's life and my my certain ideas of my mother and and she it was her it was she who said that's your title you know that's that would be a great title hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah I, I sort of you know my jaw hung open for a second and I thought well I think you're I think you're right and uh, you know so something about I think at that point I I was really orbiting uh, questions of of identity and and resisting um, labels and, and pigeonholing and, and, the as well, the questions of, of the role of anger in a woman's life and particularly in my mother's life and my own life. Um, what inheritance is passed between women is, is sorted between women sort of by the, you know, flame, if you will, of, of that anger. Um, and it was just something that I kept returning to. I knew the question of anger and and the sort of metaphor of flame as both uh life-giving, illuminating and um destructive was a a, a set of questions and a, a set of paradoxes that were going to help me get to the truth of of the matter of, of all these complicated and burdened and sort of um story-laden <laughs> uh uh set of circumstances and relationships and personalities that I, I was sort of desperate to penetrate in, in a way that would, um, both sort of set me free. I suppose that's what a writer is always looking to do, but also be, t- tell a story that a reader could engage with in a way that was meaningful.
0: Mm. And to sort of bring some of these ideas together one of uh another sort of line from your book is from my mother i learned that storytelling is a treacherous business and i think that there's um i think that really highlights uh kind of tension and i think you play with a lot of a lot of tension in the book tensions in narrative uh in sort of you know kind of socio-historical narratives as well and in kind of interpersonal relationships and interpersonal narratives um and you know sort of thinking about thinking about that in relation to the idea of legacy which you've already mentioned and obviously as as we sort of said at the beginning the us subtitle for pure flame is a legacy uh, and you said that was something you kind of wanted to um you know explore the kind of female legacy legacy of women and and it's something that comes up in your book as something that's very kind of um, under explored, um, you know, ideas like the legacy drive um, kind of being a, a male dominated, a kind of male dominated, not school of thought. That's the wrong phrase, but you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, questions of memory and, and and remembering a person's life and carrying on a person's story and how that ties into ideas of legacy as well. Um so I guess I just wondered, um, yeah, if you if you had sort of thoughts about this idea of kind of, you know, storytelling as a treacherous business and how that relates to the idea of kind of um, building a legacy and the kind of impossibility and, and uh, tension involved. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, in the, you know, To talk of the particular figure of my mother. I mean, she, she struck me as, um, extremely elusive on a bunch of different levels. And one of them was her lack of interest or what I took to be a lack of trust in stories in passing down, um, you know, creating a, any sort of chain of connection within our family, just stories of, of, you know, the, the way that families, it's almost like a, difficult for me to talk about it because it's so foreign. You know, when I meet someone who, who I, I've, I've worked with students who have, have, are exhausted by the extent to which their family is saturated in story. They're sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum from me where I grew up, um, you know, as I write in the book, both uh, sort of hungering r- really with a, a strong desire for a sense of uh, grounding in story and, and, and perhaps because my family of origin wasn't stable and wasn't what it seemed to be. Um, I was that much more, uh, hungry for just a a sense of narrative grounding of who we were, where we came from, you know, all of those things. Um, and my mother was just a figure of of refusal in that regard. And, and, and and working on this book, it, it was one of the things I wanted to Consider in particular, and and more generally, um, and her mother was the same. Uh, she she had no real stories about about her family or her life, um, and try to connect them to forces that have conspired to prevent women from creating chains of inheritance. You know, through story and, and through through other means, that would that would ground them in a sort of history or, or give them a sense of continuity, of, of legacy, of something that they could pass on um, that was precious and, and that could help make them, have, give them a sense of who they are and what's possible for them in the world. Um, and so the disruption of those chains through a sort of refusal of, of story or, or an idea of story as, as treacherous which I subscribe to, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of, it, it, both things can be true. I think that, like I said, like the students that I, that I, the people that I know who, who are drowning in story and, and family legacies are, are deal with it, have a different struggle. Um, but the, my experiences of the complete absence of it. And, and I did feel, I felt like it was worth arguing at least or considering the idea of uh, that being part of a larger context, um, uh, of women and of, of, mother and the way that m- mothers and daughters in particular uh, express through their lives and through their relationships, the, um, that tension between both needing story and distrusting story and, and also negotiating these forces that, um, are not interested in, in your legacy or in, 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 uh, what women can pass between themselves, you know, can, what a mother can pass to, to a daughter and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, the last hundred years, I, I don't think we can really, I think it's very difficult to fathom, uh, in fact, the, the, the breadth and the depth of the, of the, just the radical nature of the, of the shift in, in the way that, um, women in, in, in many parts of the world, certainly not all the world, but in many parts of the world, uh, have been able to live and have been able to, to create themselves and, and, and enter the world. Um, and so it, 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 one of the things that that does is highlight, um, the, the role of story in, in any life, in any empowered life and the, the forces, you know, in, in my opinion, that have, um, conspired to keep women, from from a sort of robust sense of of their place in a larger order um, specifically a, a larger maternal
0: order hmm. i think it's i i found it really interesting that you said that you do also subscribe to the idea of um storytelling as kind of treachery um and and that. uh you know, I think one of the subsequent lines around that part of the book, you say, I came to resent this as a chef might resent having been raised on gruel, um, which, you know, aside from being a sort of hilarious um, image is, I think it's very telling. It's this idea of kind of um, learning, um, you know, how you can learn so much about storytelling in its absence, in in, in the sort of occlusions as well. Um but also something else that kind of struck me is that the book, um, you know, right from not quite right from the beginning, but very early on, um, it starts by pointing out that um, your mother was storied in a way in the in the Janice Jerome thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and you know that obviously you you use that to sort of explore ideas of. Um, of sort of bias and, and to kind of highlight the kind of gender dynamics of the time um but also just in terms of narrative it it's it, uh it kind of distills and, and maybe reduces um your, your mother in a way but it also means that you know even before you you wrote your book your mother had been sort of storied and had a legacy albeit you know under a different name um you know, for for some time,
1: right? And it's so uh, curious to me um, that she agreed to participate in that. I think it's the perfect—it's—it's—it's it's, it's exemplary of this this tension, um, the sort of feeling on one level that stories are are treacherous and and submitting oneself to them or or accepting, um, you know, a given narrative about your life or a give, even a given identity um, is limiting in a way that's unacceptable. Um, but we also need to be known and we need to, uh, especially if we feel that, um, some part of our experience is unjust or is, is, uh, um, could be learned from or, and my mom was the, like, like, like a lot of people, uh, was sort of pushed and pulled between those forces. It's, it's, it's still, it, it's still so interesting to me that she agreed Mm -hmm. You know, albeit as you say, under a pseudonym of, of Janice Jerome, um, to have her story uh, translated and you know changed a little bit, but more or less um, presented for um, ju- the judgment of, of other business school students, and, and and specifically to be cast as a as a gender gender studies um, business case is so interesting to me <laughs> because it's it's just so contrary to what I think or thought I knew about about who she was. Um and it's yeah, if anything, it's 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 more evidence to me of of like ironically, you can go around in circles of, of you know the stories that we tell ourselves about the, the people in our lives um are are limiting and are limited. And and you you always have to allow for for uh a surprise or the idea that you you simply don't and can't know um everything about another person.
0: Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, it goes back to that kind of idea of tension and the sort of tensions that run through the book, but also, you know, I think the idea that sometimes it's not, it's not, or it doesn't have to be tension, you know, two two sort of apparently contradictory things can be true at the same time. Um, and I think that's another sort of um, thing that runs through, through the book.
1: And one doesn't take away from the other, you know, or, 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 you know, the the contradiction can be fruitful. (laughs) In other words, rather than sort of, uh, you know, negating or, or, yeah, self-cancelling.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I want to go back briefly to Susan Sontag. Obviously we talked about, uh, we talked about how the uh, epigraph is taken, uh, from some of Sontag's writing, um, you, obviously, throughout the book, we've already discussed as well that you talk a lot about, uh, you know, kind of uh, history, literature, criticism, all these things, and you know, writers like Simone de Beauvoir, um, Adrian Rich, you know, people like this come up a lot. But I, I, I felt reading it that Susan Sontag was much more kind of present um, in in your work than than any of the other writers, and I wondered if there was a particular Reason why Sontag more than other anyone else kind of stood out to you?
1: Mm, you mean in terms of the 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 way that I mentioned her, or just her, yeah. her, her actual presence? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I suppose I, I I was just so struck by her diaries and by I mean I'm you know I'm struck by it's it's I mean I'm I'm uh, as cliched as as any other uh, uh, woman writers of my um ilk I suppose at this point um but I I really she, she's one of the the people that um it's hard not to look to especially as a woman you know writing in a, in a certain vein and interested in um well whatever I I uh studying her work um and then looking at her diaries and seeing the disparity between, I mean, her, her diaries are, are just overflowing with, with references to her mother. And um it's so clear what a tremendous influence her mother was on her. And she wrestled with their relationship for the entirety of her life. And so much of her work in a way um flowed from, from that struggle. Um and yet it is almost completely obscured in her published work i haven't read all of her fiction so that might not be uh, i don't i might not have the um breadth of authority i might need to make that statement but in in my experience of her work and, I, and i've read a lot of it and it's not that i you know you're looking for like a novel about her mom or essays about her mother but <laughs> there was something about the sontag experience that for me epitomized this question of and because sontag is of, of a generation that is, She's a bit old. She's older than my mom, but only by a decade or so. Um, where they're straddling this moment in time, um, and the the way forward for a writer like Sontag, and for for me, Sontag was ex- exemplary of of a of a condition that I was interested in looking at for for female artists in the twentieth century, especially of um, not feeling there there wasn't room. It 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 seems to me uh in her art and her criticism and in all of her published work for an examination of this force in her life that was central <laughs> and um and and you know so so much of her 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 work and her incredible work bear, might bear some relation to it but it, my impression was it would never occur to her to consider her mother as anything other than a, a sort of um, <laughs> a albatross to be dealt with <laughs> or dispensed with. And it was in the way of her accomplishment, this question of legacy and, and looking um, even a difficult legacy, obviously, or, or a um, it just seemed to me that in, in, a, in the, even in the way that stories get told about the lives of, of male writers or male artists, the parental, especially the father-son bond, obviously is is an enormous um, trope. It's 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 essential um, to to so many artists' stories and and to so many um, male artists' work. For women of Sontag's generation, I, I I was certainly interested in the idea of of them not only having to efface that, but it, it never occurring um, to a woman working in in or to a lot of women working in that period to consider that that relationship with their mother as fruitful as con- uh, containing a legacy that needed to be dealt with one way or the other. And certainly I Sontag dealt with it in her diaries. So, okay. Um, but to answer to try and answer your question, I, I think mm-hmm. the reason why I focused on it the way I did um, was because it just seemed to contain so much of, of uh, an experience that interested me of, of, of an artist working in her time and trying to be serious and, and this question of having to sever with one's mother and to distinguish oneself and, and give birth to oneself and move out into the world and basically leave this person behind because they were, um, in a certain sense, useless to you. Um, you, you, you. In order for you to thrive, they needed to be forgotten in a way um, and, and sort of um, done with. And that's a story in itself. But very few p- women were telling it or were willing to even or were capable of even acknowledging it in, in, a, in a way um, that might have helped generate stories for women like me. Um, just considering it in as serious a light as anything else, the impact of that, um, the, the meaning of it, the nature of it. Uh, and I'll stop there because I feel like I could <laughs> I could just keep uh, <laughs> talking my way around this question but i yeah like clearly i i was i was something about about her um story and her her very close and fraught and fascinating relationship with her mother and her anger and her mother's yeah. anger and their estrangement um really grabbed me
0: yeah i think you know it, it's very telling that you, <laughs> that you have so much to say and, and like you said that you could just keep <laughs> saying it um you know and, and i think that that's again it's it's just one of the things that just really comes across reading the book just how um yeah how sort of how how kind of fascinating santag's relationship with her mother and and you know how how much that kind of comes to bear on your own thinking um Mm -hmm. i just wanted to quickly ask actually um just while i was thinking about it have you read the novel uh sight by jesse greengrass i haven't no okay i think that um you you might like that it's um it's about a woman sort of grieving the loss of her mother but it's very much mm. like psychologically she's just dominated both by grief but also sort of by the kind of um yeah kind of ideas of her mother and her relationship with her mother it's i read it mm. um probably uh, a month or two before reading pure flame um and it just re- it's 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 been out for a few years though. i think it came out in sort of 2017 um mm. But it, yeah, it just sort of, um, just thinking about it just then with with uh, Sontag, it, um, it, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you thought if you did read it.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. I've I've written it down. I'll look it up.
0: And then I just had two more questions, which I'll try and quickly get through before we move on to the sort of wrap up. And this sort of ties into what we were just talking about to an extent there's a line in pure flame i remained unsure what it meant to be a woman whether i qualified or cared to and i guess i was just interested to hear your thoughts on on what the sort of relationship is as you perceive it between uh, the kind of you know motherhood daughterhood uh, dynamic and womanhood
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, just starting out, you know, in the early sort of formative stage of, of trying to conceive this book, that certainly was one of the questions that I was struggling with more personally, or maybe struggling with is overstating it a bit, but it certainly isn't one that's ever been obvious to me or resolved for me. And, and um, I think I realized as as the years of working on this project went on that I, and, and, and that I, my narrator needed a a stronger presence than I had initially um, planned on giving her. um, Was it bound up in so many of my questions about my mother's life and her choices and our relationship was my own struggle to just come to terms with my own existence in a way, (laughs) my own, um, status uh as a as a as an actor in the world much less a woman um and so i i don't know that it's a i think my thinking was that it, it's sort of in, inextricable these questions of maternal legacy bound up in them for me is this question of what it means to be a woman i mean i think of the you know one of the things i go back to a few times in the book is this town hall, um, debate, quote unquote, um, that, that took place in, in the spring of 71 with a lot of luminaries and Sontag in the audience and Diana Trilling and Norman Mailer and Jermaine Greer. Uh, and, and at one point, you know, a, a question is asked that sort of ruffles, irritates Jermaine Greer about, um, what a woman is to grow by if she's not to grow in the image of her mother. Um, and to me, that sounds like how are you going to figure out what it means to be uh, both a a person, but specifically a woman um, if your mother isn't going to provide that model? Um, But again, that question is also bound up in storytelling. I I think what is, what is, what is gender, but a a story in a way Mm. I, I, and it's never been one that has particularly interested me. It's always been one that has felt externally imposed on me and um, I've abided you know, in, in all sorts of ways and not questioned it overly. Um, while it, it, inside myself, you know, just sort of being uh, all questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I think not the, my sort of avoidance of, of that, of that disparity, has been a guiding um, force in my life in ways that I haven't properly understood or reckoned with. And so the book was an opportunity for me to try and do that and to come to, you know, because when you hit a point, you know, when you're like, as, was I, as I was working on the book, sort of nearing 40 and looking around and, and realizing that I had made all sorts of choices by not making choices about certain things, um, you know, involving having children or or um, entering something like a marriage or um and I just needed to, if not settle, really wrestle with these questions in a in a in a more um, concerted way, both for myself and and for the hopefully for the benefit of the book.
0: Yeah. And then I think that leads us nicely into my last question. So obviously, Pure Flame is... Um, mostly a memoir um i would say at the sort of center it's a memoir it does sort of bring in kind of criticism and and various other things but the kind of central thread of it uh feels like a memoir um and it it feels quite distinct um i only read this is running for your life which is your book of essays i only read that um maybe last month uh so you know quite a few a few months after reading pure flame but i I not jarring is the wrong word but i found it almost like uh they're two very distinct bodies of work two very distinct styles of writing as well from from your essays to the memoir and obviously you know eight years in between them in, in terms of publication is also going to account for some of that but just from a sort of subject matter perspective you know in in the essays uh there's there's much more room for you as a person to hide um you know (laughs) you you don't have to foreground yourself in, in quite the same way um and you know then i was also thinking about another line from pure flame which is um you know talking about your relationship with your mother you say um as a writer the subject appeared fatal and yeah, I, I guess just um, I just wondered sort of how did it compare that sort of experience of moving from something which was, you know, they're they're both very sort of analytical and um, you know uh, perceptive books. You know, you're, you're looking out at the world, at culture, but with Pure Flame, it's much more kind of um, almost like it, you look out and then it looks back in, um, mm. and and I just wondered what that kind of um, uh, jump was like for you?
1: Mm, um, painful, you know, challenging, necessary. Uh, I do love a good hiding place, <laughs> but I also felt, yeah. I, and I think that's part of why, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier, the first draft that I turned in, it was probably much a much closer relative to This Is Running For Your Life than the the finished book, um, I think I was resisting kind of with, I, I both knew I, I wanted to evolve in my writing and I knew that writing a, an, an entire book as opposed to a collection of essays was uh, something I was gonna have to teach myself how to do in the doing of it. Um, but I also resisted, uh, you know, and sort of as one does, you know, you resort to all of your old old faithfuls. Um, so the, the first draft was really more like a collection of essays. Um, I, you know, what was it like? I mean, it, it really was, um, it, freeing and, and painful and, and revelatory for me to, to, to feel like I was moving forward in my work and I was doing it in a way that, um, was, was true to who I was and true, true to the voice, um, that I wanted to use and that I felt was both was also the most effective and you know I don't know if effective is the right word but it was the voice that I I needed and it, it I had to fight a lot harder to uh land on it um for a bunch of reasons um one of them was just the ground of the story was a part of the story was shifting under my feet and I I've, I've never worked that way before uh, um and I also just had to. I had to pay more attention to story, which, as we've <laughs> as we've established, is not a thing that I that comes naturally to me, and there's a, the, my own distrust of it is is um, sizable. So reconciling myself to um, and and teaching myself how to how to how to tell a story in a way that I hadn't before, um, without the escape hatches that I perhaps have used in the past or or just just a different mode of writing. We don't have to look at it as <laughs> derogatory, I guess. Um I mean it was a wonderful challenge and it went and it was also part of what helped me survive um a very a, a, a very tough period of my life. Um and and not to, you know, and leaving the pandemic out, but the pandemic was also, <laughs> you know, I finished the book at the, as the pandemic was in its earliest months and it gave me a place to go mm. and a way to move forward uh, as everything else was, was standing still. And I was just determined to, um, to get there, to get where I needed to be, you know, a lot was on the line for me. And if I was going to go as deep into my mom's life and my mom's story as, as I, I felt it was necessary to do, if I was going to continue with the book I needed to get it right and um, that was both a an excruciating and, and exhilarating challenge.
0: As I've obviously mentioned uh, Pure Flame is your shelf's uh, number one nonfiction book of the year. Um, there's a, a sort of top 10 um, that will be announced before this episode comes out but after now when we're recording it, um, if that makes sense. Uh, But I thought we could finish just by talking, Michelle, about um, some of your sort of um, 2021 highlights uh, and if you had any sort of books of the year that you wanted to recommend.
1: I have thought about this. I (laughs) am, you know, at the beginning of last year, I read a book. It's not a new book by any means, but uh, on John Berger's A Painter of Our Time which was his first novel, uh, really struck me. Um, and gorgeously written, um, f- full of ideas, um, provocative, fascinating. And the story behind it is also interesting. I, I guess it, uh, uh, within a month or two of its initial publication, it was pulled by the publisher. It was deemed to be too, too sort of communist-friendly, um it's just sort of a throwback to a to a time in history where uh a work of art could be so threatening um uh but it, it was a wonderful book and i highly recommend it um i'm also just finishing up phyllis rose's parallel lives which is a nonfiction book um a, a sort of snapshots of, of several victorian era marriages the dickens marriage george Eliot, and and um thomas carlisle uh, and it just sort of vibrated with all of my <laughs> existing mm-hmm. sort of uh, um, ideas and, and suspicions of, of narrative and of, of marriage and, and the convergence of those two things. It's just, it's it's wonderfully considered and written beautifully. Kate Zambrano's To Write As If Already Dead, which was released at least in the, in the U.S. Um, I think a week after Pure Flame came out. I love Kate Zambrano. I love her writing. And, and for me, this book was the, the best of what she does the best. It's, um, it's a, a sort of personal study of the work of um, Hervé Joubert um, slim and just certainly my favorite of her work so far. So those are my, those are my top picks of this year. <laughs>
0: Thank you. And, um, did you have anything that isn't a book that you wanted to rave about from this? You don't, uh, no pressure, obviously, if, 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 <laughs> if there isn't anything, but if you wanted, if you were looking for an outlet to gush about something that you've watched or listened to or encountered in some way this year, this is your chance.
1: You know, I don't have, I, I wish I'd seen more movies. I feel movie really deprived at this point. Um, I did like that there's a show called hacks that, that came out earlier this year that i liked quite a bit um really enjoying the great the, the catherine the great um mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a TV show liking that a lot although we're, i'm only about eight or nine episodes in um but yeah i i, I, I don't have any any more recommendations
0: that's <laughs> Plenty already. Thank you. Um, And then looking ahead, uh, is there anything books or otherwise in 2022 that you're particularly looking forward to?
1: Well, I'm looking forward to catching up on my movies. I mean, it's really, (laughs) it's, it's, I can't recall a time in my life when I've, I've, I mean, it's obviously part, uh, mostly the pandemic. It's, Mm. there's something, I don't know. I've, I've just lost a step in terms of the the way that I, I engage with, with uh, the movies that are that are just coming out, I do want to catch up on the um, souvenir films, both of them, because I I didn't catch the first one when it came out. I'd like to watch both of them. I want to catch up on um, the new newish um, Deborah Levy book, Real Estate. Mm, it's very good. I is it? Oh, yeah. good. Um, <laughs> there's one that I noticed. I I don't know if it has a U.S. publisher, but there's one that. I, I, it's called super infinite about John Donne, um, by a, a writer named Catherine Rundell that caught my eye. Um, it looks really good to me. And, uh, the lost daughter, there's the, the, a, a Ferrante adaptation mm-hmm. to go back to your adaptation question. It's one of the, I, I think it's it's one of those loose, you know, sort of, um, like adaptation, the movie style, um, maybe not that extreme, but that interests me quite a bit. It, it looks great.
0: Thank you so much. Those, um, uh, those all sound great um also yeah real estate I can't remember at the moment I haven't written my um top 10 list down but I have like stacks um in in the other room and I can't see them but I know that real estate is somewhere in, in the top 10 of 2021 it's in there. Um, you know, along with <laughs> along with pure flame I I have a feeling it's like six or seven um, on the list again, you know, to whoever is listening to this, you know, a week or two in the future, uh, you'll know better <laughs> than I do right now where that where that is. But anyway, um, and then Michelle, final final question, I promise, uh, from me is um, what's next?
1: What is next? <laughs> um, yeah, I I am s- sort of deep into two different projects that are both um, really in the notebook phase still. Um, one is, um, you know, to go back to what we were talking about with regard to, um, pure flame and, 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 you know, taking, taking a step forward or at least taking a step (laughs) in a different direction in one's work. Um, I've been, I've been playing with fiction. I've, I've been sort of trying to, trying to fall in love with writing again, or at least find not that i'm completely out of love with it but i don't know publishing a book is is uh is draining um and so i've i've been working on a on a fiction project or at least making making notes in a direction that is is sort of um stimulating the the gland <laughs> that needs to be stimulated um and i'm also trying to put together um another essay collection some of which are are uh previously published and and uh, uh conceiving some a few new ones to to round it out and give it a give it a sort of thematic thrust um and and those are my i'm, I'm doing a lot of teaching you know I'm, I'm trying to like you i'm sure and everyone listening i'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> stay alive <laughs> trying to try to keep it together and ride ride out you know whatever this 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 next phase is of the thing we're in um and uh uh, hopefully it's tough not having a it's not tough not having a a a project um being deep in a project, like i said deep being deep in a project was such a gift um to to in terms of the the timing and and the pandemic um so i'm struggling a bit with with uh trying to be trying to exercise the the discipline that I, i i um sort of counsel my writing students which is I think writing out these periods is is one of the one of the key parts of being a writer you know without sort of give with without giving up or or um sort of losing your losing your ballast so I'm 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 close but I don't I don't quite have two feet in a new project yet
0: okay I think yeah I was just thinking about you know I'm someone who whenever I sort of finish working on a project, I find myself so kind of bereft when I don't have that thing kind of guiding me anymore. And usually, you know, the longest I sort of work on any one thing is, you know, maybe a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, the amount of time that went into pure flame, I can imagine, um, the, you know, the kind of uh, yeah. deflation that comes after, you know, putting so much of yourself into something uh, for so long. So, yeah, I, I, I really sympathize
1: yeah i've got the bends or something i've got the i'm still in this sort of staggering around you know just sort of trying to stay upright uh
0: well thank you very much michelle that's everything i have to ask um obviously we can cut there if you want we can if you if you really want to ask me questions <laughs> I, I now turn I really over do. to you michelle <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i to to end the official uh, portion of this I, I will just say again that i'm i'm so honored and I'm, I'm thrilled to um to be your choice and i'm grateful for the attention that you gave the book it really means so much to me and thank you for that
0: it's an absolute pleasure of mine. Thank you.
1: So now, can I ask you about?
0: <laughs> ask me anything. I'm an open book.
1: Mostly. Tell me what was the impetus for for the reading project for the book a day? Is that something that you've done before, or that is it? And, and how have you been doing it?
0: <laughs> how is it? How is it possible? These are all good questions. Sometimes <laughs>
1: because all of your reviews are like they're not just you know sort of tossed off captions. They're they're incredibly considered and and crafted and I don't know how you're doing.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, I, so I guess probably like four or five years ago, I really kind of started keeping tabs on what I was reading, you know, in, in a sort of given period of time you know each year and then one year as I was sort of going along I was like oh I've read like this was in December and I realized I'd read like you know 48 books and I thought oh if I read another four I've read 52 books that's a book a week and then I kind of slightly became obsessed (laughs) with that kind of um, you know how many books a year am I reading and so then the next year my target was 104 which was you know two books a year and then it sort of just kept sort of amping up and before the pandemic hit my goal for last year was to read 208 books which is four a week um which seemed ambitious but I was like no I can do it I can do it and then the pandemic hit and I was just like you know I went through sort of phases of like reading is the only thing keeping me sane versus the last thing I want to do is touch a book um I also went through a bad breakup and just like yeah all kinds of stuff um last Mm -hmm. year and it was just sort of phases of reading, phases of not reading. And then in, in December, literally right at the beginning of December, I realized I'd read, um, about 150 books last year. And I thought, oh, if I read 52 books, I think that was, that was all I had left to read 52 books, um, in December, then I will have read 200 and i'll have met my goal i can still do it uh so basically i just like threw myself into reading for december uh last year and just spent every waking like a lot of them were quite short books which helped but but um i spent a lot of time in december reading and and you know some days i was reading like four books a day just waking up and <laughs> reading eating sleeping um and then, and then at the start of the year i don't know what really compelled me to do it i just read a book on the first of january and i was like oh posting my review because by that point i had sort of been posting reviews of most of the things i'd read and when i posted it i was like oh and, and and i'm gonna read i'm gonna do this every day i hadn't really thought about it before posting and saying i was going to do it and then after about a week or two, I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I need to try and stick to this now. Uh, and <laughs> I found, I found, you know, I've got two books. I haven't read today's book yet, so I need to get my act together. But oh, God, <laughs> today's book. Oh, I, my um, God. I, I, it's, as it's sort of gotten closer and closer to completion, every day I wake up and I'm like, maybe today I just shouldn't do it. And like my, you know, there's this, mm. there's this terrible sabotaging part of my brain that says, don't do it. Um, but no, even, even on days when I've been, you know, depressed and haven't wanted to get out of bed, the one thing that sort of kept me going um, is, is oh no, I need to get up. I need to read today's book. Right. Um, so that, in, you know, in some ways it's been helpful. I also usually know what day of the week it is now, um, <laughs> which is quite weird <laughs> but uh, and, and as for how it helps that I don't sleep much um, I yeah. also sort of have read quite a few short books and you know I read a lot of poetry which is um, sort of easier to kind of read a, a book of poems in a day than to read a doorstop novel I have read a few doorstop novels which <laughs> a day of reading you know an 800 page book is a long day um, mm. but uh, no and I think just sort of having that discipline having when i went to university as well it was a very intense course and i had to read you know like 10 books a week and also do all my writing alongside it so i'm kind of used to reading quickly synthesizing the information quickly and and writing about it Um, so i think it's just a kind of experience and discipline thing Um, Mm. and just a kind of pure stubbornness too (laughs)
1: I was going to say, it has to be, <laughs> I think you've got to have a level of discipline, but also just, yeah, um, <laughs> sort of a pig-headed world. Well the- <laughs> yeah,
0: very much that.
1: <laughs> do you ever, do you find yourself like you, canceling plans or you can't, you know, like <laughs> turning down?
0: Uh, to I'm almost ashamed to admit it but yeah there have been times where like or or times where you know I've been working all day and then a work meeting runs late and a friend's meant to be coming over for dinner but I haven't had time to review the book or and I either you know message and I say you know can we delay by an hour or you know they're here and I'm like you know looking at the clock seeing if they're going to leave and you know I've had to say Uh. a few times if you're not going to leave before midnight I have a book review to write (laughs) So you know, stay in silence or leave, <laughs> um, but I think you know, I'm lucky that most of my friends um humor my um slightly crazy um and yeah pig headed determination to uh to do this. Um, I don't think they'll <laughs> they <understand. laughs> yeah, I don't think they'll support me trying to do it again, so again, right. <laughs> <laughs> next year, I'm gonna have to be uh yeah much more accommodating to people than to books, but yeah.
1: And the the press that you run, how are Mm. you, how are you finding the writers that you publish? What's, what's your plan? How does it, how is it running?
0: (laughs) Um, That's a good question. Um, So we've only published two books. So I say we, I've only published two books so far. (laughs) Um, The first one was... Uh, Actually, my first book of poems, and that came out in January last year, you know, just before the pandemic. Um, And then the pandemic basically just screwed up everything because it just, yeah, it became too much for me to really think about or do um, alongside everything else that was going on. Um, Mm. In the background, I'd been working on editing the second book, um, which we just published a few weeks ago, which is a book of um, poems and Um, sort of almost like diary entries basically it's it's this um, songwriter uh, self-esteem who uh, I became friends with last year after being a a big fan of her work and I sort of she she, as well as writing just the most amazing lyrics she posted these phone notes of hers on Instagram and it was usually just like really um, pithy and funny but insightful and kind of meaningful uh usually one-liners um you know from her iphone notes and she'd post them on instagram people would love them and i sort of pitched to her That you know, we should publish her iPhone notes as a book, and you know, throw in some kind of longer poems and some lyrics and things like that. And basically, that's that's what we've done. And it's like a small kind of Bible slash iPhone shaped and sized thing. Um, And it's kind of like a diary. It's kind of like a poetry book. Um, It's really kind of um, I don't know. I I haven't read a book like it. Uh, So you know, getting to make that with her was so exciting, and um, Mm. and that's kind of what I want to do. I want to keep on making books that are um you know the other the other people aren't making that other people haven't read before as well um but primarily i think you know the the thing i'm looking for is, is books that i would want to read um and you know we earlier this year opened up submissions Um, haven't had very many submissions for like a full length book yet which I'm like come on someone pitch me pitch me the the book of essays or the memoir that makes me cry come on Mm. Um, and we also have some sort of like online kind of journals that that are also taking submissions and hopefully through that I might find um, someone you know with kind of more work than just a short piece to to publish as well, but sort of mm-hmm. using that to kind of discover um, new writers as well. So yeah, it's like mm-hmm. it's, it's very sort of early early stages still um, of of the press. It's technically only in its second year, um, and we've only published <laughs> two books, just about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hopefully next year we'll have another two. Um, and uh, yeah, I think just and hopefully sort of expanding beyond just poetry which is mostly what we've done so far
1: Mm -hmm. well and i love the idea of of making a sort of design wise a sort of bespoke approach Mm. to to the books um i love that
0: thank you thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the your shelf podcast we'll be back again in a few weeks with another new episode